Los Angeles police release a mentally ill young woman into the streets at midnight with no car, no cell phone, no money, and without alerting her family. Within hours, she is missing and never seen alive again. What happened to Matrice Richardson? about bad things. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. This is Brad, the captain of your fun ship known as the Killin' Missing Hidden Podcast. Before we begin today's lesson on the strange and mysterious disappearance and death of Matrice Richardson, I want to encourage everyone who wants to learn more about this case to check out a story by Mike Kessler in the Los Angeles Magazine in September 2011. It really redefines the word thorough. He provides amazing detail and interviewed dozens of people and in the process put together one of the best timelines of this case I've seen. There's a link to this article in my show notes and I hope you go check it out. I really stood on his shoulders to put this episode together. Also know that there's a ton more materials out there than what I've been able to get to. My first draft of my script for the show is about two and a half times longer than any other show I've put together. I've cut it down to try to work it in close to our typical format, but just know, like the Maura Murray podcast from last week, uh, there is a ton of information out there. And again, if anyone's interested in me doing a follow-up episode on this to cover some of the points I couldn't touch on, I'll be happy to do that. Because honestly, I could easily cover three episodes worth of materials. This one is so unusual. Okay, so Matrice Richardson was raised in San Gabriel Valley, California. She was outgoing, funny, considered a bit of a princess, uh, to the extent that she refused to help her mother with gardening because it was gross. If she had to go somewhere and couldn't be driven, she refused to walk more than a couple blocks. She just was that sort of girl. After graduating high school, Matrice attended Cal State Fullerton, becoming the first member of her family to both attend college and graduate, where she earned a bachelor's degree in psychology. She began dating Tessa Moon, an aspiring professional boxer, and worked for Moon's dad at a shipping company while she attempted to figure out where and how to pursue her postgraduate education. After Matrice and Tessa broke up, Matrice began working as a go-go dancer at a lesbian nightclub in Long Beach and tried to pursue modeling. Matrice fell for a regular at the club by the name of Vanessa, but Vanessa had a girlfriend, which Matrice apparently took as a challenge and made her want Vanessa even more. Matrice um, became a bit of a stalker and went so far as to even crash Vanessa's birthday party in Las Vegas one year, which caused Vanessa to tell Matrice that she had to back off. This rejection hit Matrice really, really hard. She stopped talking to her friends and began posting odd musings on her MySpace page. She was described as just acting weird by her friends and loved ones. She even confided in one friend that she wanted to begin seeing a therapist, but never followed through on that 
because she wanted to give the appearance that she always had her life under control, according to her ex-girlfriend, Moon. During her last days, she was acting exceptionally strange. She claimed to her mom via text that she was in contact with Michelle Obama and was working on getting President Obama to create her a position in the White House. Her mother texted her back and said, please, please call me, because she knew she was not in the right state of mind. Patrice refused and texted back saying she was in a state of total joy. She no longer feared death because she had learned that Jesus had died so that we could all live forever. And it was her goal to prove the unlogic of the world. On September 16th, 2009, Matrice showed up to her job at the shipping company in an unusually bubbly mood, but she never returned when she left for lunch. While she was gone, she sent her mother some more nonsensical text messages. She apparently stopped by her aunt's house and just plastered the front door and porch with the business cards from her dancing job. She also took a moment to leave a note under her uncle's car windshield, which contained random observations and musings about the world. In the margin, she had written, Black Woman Scorned, and signed the note merely with a moi, one of her trademark air kisses. That evening, Matrice pulled into Jeffrey's, an upscale restaurant in Malibu. She waited for the valet, and by the time he made it over to her, the valet actually found the engine to the vehicle shut off and no driver. As he looked over the parking lot for someone, he noticed a young woman digging around in his car. He went to investigate and found Matrice. When he asked her what she was doing, she said that she was there to avenge Michael Jackson's death. The valet found her behavior rather strange and warned the hostess to keep an eye on her. Matrice was seated at her own table by herself, but it wasn't long before the conversation at a nearby table caught her interest, and she pulled her chair over to join that party. She dominated the conversation, talking largely about astrology. A member of the staff came to check on the table but was told everything was fine. It was odd, but it was manageable. When her food arrived, Matrice returned back to her own table, but after finishing eating, she scooted back over to the larger party's table and began bragging about how she was moving to Hawaii and promised earnestly to contact each and every one of these strangers when she had arrived. Shortly thereafter, the party broke up and decided to leave. Matrice followed, but was intercepted by the manager, who asked how she'd like to settle her $89 bill. Matrice acted confused, saying she thought the party of seven had paid for her tab, but the manager informed her she was mistaken. Matrice just shrugged and said she was busted and asked what they were going to have to do. While the manager was explaining her various options, Matrice looked over at the cashier's computer screen and became transfixed, as if she was hypnotized. It took a few tries for the manager to regain her attention when she softly declared that she was from Mars and emptied her pockets while saying so as if to demonstrate that she did not have any cash. At this point, the manager decided to call the police 
asking for assistance because he thought Matrice was either crazy or on drugs. Three deputies arrived around 9 p.m. While two of them searched her car, the third conducted field sobriety tests on Matrice, and she passed each and every one of them. When asked why she had eaten a Jeffries, she responded by saying she was attracted by the pretty neon lights. She was arrested and taken to Lost Hills Station due to her failure to pay her tab. Her car was impounded. Her mother was called, and deputies told her that Matrice could be picked up the next morning. Matrice's mother warned the officer who called that Matrice had been acting very odd. She was worried that she may be suffering from something like bipolar disorder. She could possibly be suicidal. And though she was concerned, she had been unable to convince her daughter to see a mental health professional. And she asked specifically, please don't release my daughter without letting me know. Now, under California law, police have the authority to hold a person who appears to present a risk of harm to herself or to others for a short, short period of time. Or they can send her to a psychiatric facility for 72 hours to obtain a professional mental evaluation. Now, either of these decisions, of course, require extra time and paperwork for the arresting officer. And oddly, or maybe not surprisingly, as we'll learn, in the official arrest report, none of Matrice's odd behaviors were included. Matrice did not try to call her mother from jail but instead called her great-grandmother four times during the night. Deputies reported that Matrice held multiple conversations with her great-grandmother. However, her great-grandmother said the phone never rang that night. The telephone that is typically provided to inmates, which is set up to record calls, was out of order the night Matrice was there. And so she was making calls from a phone that did not record any conversations. So it's possible that Matrice was having conversations with a dial tone, the way she was acting. Matrice's mother arrived the following morning at 5.35 a.m., only to learn that Matrice was not there. The jailers had released Matrice at 12.15 a.m. with no car, no money, no cell phone, and without making a phone call to Matrice's mother. Matrice was 40 miles from her home, and she was in an area that she was not at all familiar with. Matrice's mother was upset, and after getting nowhere with the jail, she spoke to the Lost Hills Police Station and asked to file a missing persons report on her daughter. The officer she spoke with said she should wait a few hours to see if Matrice pops up. If she didn't, then maybe he could be of help. Like most jurisdictions, California requires police officers to immediately begin providing assistance if a person is reported missing. And there's particular provisions they have to follow if the missing person is considered to be mentally unstable. Now, about an hour later, at 6.30 a.m., the Lost Hills Department received a phone call from a retired local news anchor who reported a slim black woman trespassing on his land. His property was about six miles from the Lost Hills Department. They responded, but found no one. 
Despite all this evidence, police refused to accept a missing report for approximately six hours. Finally, one was accepted, and a bolo was issued 30 minutes later, sometime between 1 and 1.30 p.m., or over 13 hours since police had released Matrice. Police did not begin an official search for two days. When they did, they began the search at the news anchor's house, where Matrice sneakers prints were actually found. They followed the tracks, but they disappeared amongst other tracks, including horse tracks, near the entrance to what is known as Dark Canyon. Amazingly, no search of Dark Canyon was ever conducted. The public learned of the story shortly thereafter. The local news quickly sold the story as a black girl arrested in White Malibu. They noted that when Mel Gibson had been arrested by the very same police department, he had received a ride back to his impounded car, but this 24-year-old girl from Watts was released on foot at night with nothing but her driver's license. When the LAPD's homicide division was called in to begin an investigation, they went through the evidence in her car. Now, I have to note here that the homicide division was not brought in because police suspected this to be a homicide, but they did so because that division had the most resources available to assist with the search. When they went through Matrice's car, they found several journals she had written over the last few days. They quickly determined that the night she was arrested, Matrice had not slept in several days, and was likely suffering from some sort of bipolar episode. Further, her ATM card, her checkbook, and her cell phone were also found in the vehicle. None of this had been found, or at least noted, by the sheriff's office. A few days later, the lieutenant on duty the night Matrice was arrested emailed his captain, explaining that while Matrice was acting odd when she was arrested, She was obviously intelligent and well-educated, which he used to conclude she was not a threat to anyone and could be safely released. Five days after this email, Matrice's arrest report was amended, and it was specifically added that Matrice was aware of her surroundings and was not confused. A few weeks later, under pressure from the public and the media, the sheriff's department took the public position that there was absolutely no evidence Matrice was under any sort of mental distress that evening. Reports soon began surfacing of Matrice being seen working the streets of Las Vegas and also working in casinos, typically on the arm of a rich man. The Los Angeles area police initially brushed off these reports, but finally began working with the Las Vegas police in June of 2010. The Las Vegas police received over 70 reports of Matrice sightings, but ultimately concluded there was no evidence Matrice was in the area. Matrice's family asked to see the jail cell footage of the night she was arrested, and the captain of the station told them that there was no such video. Months later, the captain confessed to Matrice's aunt, however, that there had been a recording from that night. But the footage was not turned over to the family for another three months. Allegedly, this was due to technical difficulties. 
When the family finally received the video, it had been heavily edited. Yet again, the sheriff's office said, we don't have any comment on this, we don't know what happened, refused to answer any questions about the video. Patrice's family also claims that the end of the video shows Matrice being released and followed out the door by a deputy. When they asked who the deputy was and what he was doing, the sheriff's office refused to answer questions. Now, uh, the video did show Matrice in her cell, and the parts that were not edited out showed her acting odd, according to the family. I think one specific example is she's holding a paper or a newspaper, and appears to be yelling at it or speaking loudly towards it. And then suddenly there's an edit and the paper is on the floor and Matrice is sitting on the floor herself, balled up like a baby, rocking back and forth. Now, of course, Matrice's family eventually sued the sheriff's department to try to get some more information. And rather than using their in-house counsel, their retained counsel that are used for routine lawsuits, the sheriff's department decided to hire a high-end defense firm. This ended with the lawsuit being settled. They paid the family $900,000, but never agreed to take any responsibility for Matrice or change any policies or procedures. On August 9th, 2010, a pair of rangers in Dark Canyon were inspecting an area that had previously been used by illegal marijuana farmers. The area where this growing occurred was well off the beaten path. There was no trails, there was poison oak growing everywhere, and really the park rangers didn't hike to the spot. They had to carefully navigate their way there. While investigating the spot, looking for evidence of, of new illegal drug growth, they found a human skull. It was Matrice's body, less than two miles from when the young woman was last seen. The park rangers, of course, immediately reported this discovery to the sheriff's office. This was just after noon. Deputies managed to get to the scene at about 1.30 p.m., so there was about six hours of daylight left for the coroner to conduct its investigation. Yet the deputies, for a reason that has never been explained, waited until 2.58 p.m., or almost 90 minutes, to contact the coroner's office. California is like most states in that law enforcement is required to immediately contact the coroner's office when a dead body is discovered, regardless of whether it appears to be a homicide or some other manner of death. Indeed, law enforcement's role initially is simply to secure the scene and allow the coroner's office to conduct its initial investigation first before police can begin their investigation. The coroner's office could not make it to the location of Matrice's body until almost 5 p.m., leaving them approximately 90 minutes of daylight. The sheriff's office offered to send in a helicopter to help with retrieving the body, which the coroner accepted. However, 
one never arrived. The explanation being a hiker went missing and their helicopter had to be diverted for that purpose. Ultimately, the coroner was forced to abandon the investigation and said he would restart in the morning. However, which I've said a lot so far, at 8 p.m. that very night, the sheriff's office returned with their helicopter and decided to go ahead and remove Matrice's body before the coroner can conduct his investigation. Now again, California law specifically forbids this. You have to have the coroner's permission before a dead body can be moved. And this was never provided here. The coroner, in fact, was rather ticked off that the body was moved before he could do his investigation. And again, no explanation has been offered for why the sheriff did this. The sheriff's office did not take adequate photographs of the area or collect any evidence the coroner would need to understand the scene better, such as, for example, soil samples from under the body. Now, fortunately, the park rangers had taken lots of photographs and did a much better job presenting a scene for the coroner. Yet, like everything else in this case, these photos kind of raised more questions than they answered. Matrice's right leg had been removed from her body and was found on a mound of knotty roots uphill from the rest of the body. The leg was covered in soil and sprouting weeds. Oddly, the femur had been cleanly removed from the leg. This was not a situation of a coyote or something ripping it out. This was almost like a surgical removal. Experts who viewed the photographs said that the removal of the fever was obviously much too precise to be attributed to animals. And they found it odd that the leg was uphill from the body, as animals typically drag bodies of what they're going to eat downhill. Matrice's body was found naked. The only clothing that could be recovered were her jeans, her belt, and her bra, which were somewhere between five and 600 yards away from the body. Surprisingly, this recovered clothing showed no signs of exposure to the elements other than a tiny spot of rust on the jeans zipper. One forensic expert stated the clothes could be washed and safely worn the next day they were in such good condition. Thus, this rules out any suggestion that they were in the, mo- in the woods for the 11 months Matrice was missing. Also strangely, Matrice's body was in a state of partial mummification. A body left in the woods for 11 months should be fully decomposed. Instead, Matrice's condition suggested that she had been stored in an attic or some other dry place that would prevent decomposition. Further, her left arm was in in an unnatural position, almost as if she had been saying the Pledge of Allegiance, and it was defying gravity based on the position of the body when it was found. Experts suggest that this indicated she was tightly wrapped in some sort of fabric or another material 
right after she died. So let's go back to the question, why? Why did the sheriff remove the body? Well, the reasons given were that the sheriff wanted to protect the body from scavenging animals, when, in fact, there's no evidence animals ever touched this body. Also, the sheriff's office claimed that when the park rangers found the body, they picked up the skull and the entire body came up with it. Yet, this is a blatant lie. Matrice's skull was found on top of her chest, according to reports, and six vertebrae have never been recovered, making it impossible for the moving of her skull to affect the position of the rest of her body. Other portions of her body have also never been found. When a small group of her friends and family went to create a memorial at this site, they happened to discover one of her fingers. Interestingly, the same park rangers did find a grow operation less than three miles from where Matrice's body was discovered. Those growers were arrested, but there's no evidence they were ever questioned about Matrice. Also, at the scene on a canyon wall, there was freshly painted racist and sexist graffiti. There were also paint cans and brushes that were apparently used to make the graffiti still at the scene. But this was another lead the sheriff's office ignored. Further still, the property which abuts the creek is rumored to be a location where pornography is routinely filmed. It contains a cabin, which is very close to the creek bed. But again, no one explored this lead. As I mentioned earlier, despite all of this evidence, the sheriff's office refused to consider Matrice's death a homicide. They explained the body's condition as being caused either by animals or the rising of the nearby creek. The sheriff suggested the cause of death would be from either anaphylactic shock from contact with the poison oak out there, or from a snake bike. Now, let's go through these theories one at a time and tear them to shreds. Let's start with the animal theory. So, for this theory to work, we have to believe that these critters managed to remove Matrice's tennis shoes and socks and t-shirt and either eat them or carry them so far away that investigators never found them. Then these animals had to come back and find a way to detach her bra without damaging it and carry it 600 yards away. Likewise, Matrice's belt would have to be unclasped and carefully removed from each loop in her jeans, and again carried hundreds of yards away while remaining undamaged. And then her jeans would have to be carefully removed and taken several hundred yards away. Oh, and I forgot to mention the belt. It was actually found hanging in some vines. So these critters would have to toss the belt into the air and hook it over the vines for the evidence to match this theory. Now, after doing all this work, these crafty little buggers would then have to carefully remove just Matrice's right leg and drag it uphill without leaving any marks 
place it on a bed of roots, and then remove the femur with surgical precision. And after performing all of this work, they would leave, eating no part of the body. Now, I understand Disneyland's in California, and they may have magically trained animals which roam about. But no person can seriously listen to this explanation and say, Bingo, these geniuses figured it out. It all makes perfect sense. The puzzle pieces fit perfectly. These would need to be like the grim fairy tale versions of the animals from Cinderella as directed by Lloyd Kaufman. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, Brad, this theory is clearly spot on. It solves everything. Why even explore the others? Well, let's do it just for funsies. The water theory. So, for this fictional tale to work, the nearby creek would first need to rise 60 feet. Then the water would have to perform many of the same tasks as the Kaufman animals, such as unfastening her belt and undoing her bra. A feat most men can't pull off easily, and we have fingers and thumbs and sometimes a brain. And again, take her socks and her shoes, and then leave only the belt, the jeans, the bra behind. Make sure the belt gets up in the vines. Oh, oh, and this. I forgot this. The creek would have to run uphill, too, to accomplish all this, which, you know, water is known to do quite often. And this still leaves unanswered the question of the leg and femur removal. Okay, so maybe we can salvage some of the sheriff's pride regarding the cause of her death. Is it possible Matrice died from anaphylactic shock due to poison oak? Maybe, but this happens so rarely that medical experts have no statistics or guidance to go by on how often this occurs. There are so few reported cases of this ever happening, it's basically considered something that doesn't happen. Basically, it's as likely to happen as the sentient voyeuristic water theory. Okay, but the snake bite theory is plausible, right? Mm. Assuming the bite occurred on her left leg, maybe. But the statistics say the odds are kind of small. How small? Well, California reports that a grand total of two people die from snake bites each year. So at least the sheriff's office came up with one theory that is just super crazy unlikely instead of totally insane. That's something, right? So the sheriff failed us, absolutely failed us in all points during this investigation. But we've got the coroner's office, right? They're men of science. There's some sanity here, right? No, no. They didn't care, and they didn't do any real work on this case. To illustrate that assertion, here's a list of things, and it's just some of the things, that the coroner's office did not do in this case. Bug casings were found on Matrice's body, but they were never analyzed. Doing so would help coroner learn if the casings were laid by local bugs, 
how long they had been there, when they had hatched, things like that. Basically information to help determine the time and place of Matrice's death. None of the dirt or leaves under Matrice's body were ever analyzed for blood or other evidence. No craniotomy, where they kind of rip your head open and poke around the skull, was performed. This is routinely done to see if any brain trauma could be attributed to the cause of death. Despite noting that Matrice's teeth were pinkish in color, which is a classic sign of strangulation, no effort was made to look for the missing vertebrae that we discussed earlier. In particular, the hyoid is a neck bone that is always examined to determine whether or not someone was forcibly strangled. But the coroner's office never searched the area a second time to look for these missing bones. And remember, Matrice's friends and family just stumbled across a finger bone when they went out there to pay their respects. No tests were ever conducted on Matrice's clothing because no one told the coroner's office there was clothing. It had been packed tightly into the bottom of the body bag. And apparently the coroner's office didn't make much of an effort to make sure nothing was left in the body bag. And lastly, and my personal favorite, the coroner did not examine Matrice's pubic hairs for signs of foreign pubic hairs or semen. The thing you always do to see if a person was raped. And remember, this is a considered a pretty young girl. She was working as a dancer at nightclubs. She was becoming a model. And sadly, you would have to think that if she was kidnapped or abducted in any way, there's a good chance that she was sexually assaulted. But we'll never know because the coroner didn't care. And on top of all of this evidence that we've just talked about and all the problems with the, share, the theories that were presented by the sheriff's office, let's not forget one fundamental fact about Matrice. She was not a tomboy. She hated being outside. She was not a hiker at all. And the rangers who found her had to go through some pretty treacherous territory just to get to where her body lay. So, unless she was so mentally ill that she underwent a total personality shift, it feels safe to say that Matrice would never voluntarily be in this part of the California world. As I've researched this case, I've gotten furious more times than I can count. I've never seen a police department so dedicated to making sure a case is never properly investigated. And there's apparently no accountability here. This wasn't a failure by just one deputy. This was a systemic failure throughout the entire department, including the coroner's office. And from what I can tell, no one was ever punished or disciplined or even reprimanded for how this investigation was conducted. So why were all of these mistakes made? In my opinion, from my experience in dealing with situations similar to this, I believe that the sheriff's office knew that they screwed up by releasing Matrice and then instantly went into litigation defense mode, trying to make sure they could cover up every bad decision 
and provide as little information as possible so they wouldn't hang themselves in case they got drug into court. I think the fact that they refused to even entertain the idea of this being a homicide supports that because if they had classified this as a homicide, that would probably drive up the price of the lawsuit significantly. And they would be on the hook for potentially massive damages. Because of the terrible police work and the terrible forensic work by the coroner's office, we have no idea who committed this crime. In fact, I bet many of you are sitting out there upset more at the sheriff's office wondering what they were thinking rather than wondering who killed this poor woman. To me, it seems very likely that she was killed elsewhere and then dumped in the woods. I don't think she had been there a long time, meaning she was being held or perhaps working somewhere else until she met her unfortunate end. She very well could have been in Las Vegas during this entire time. Again, when you have 70 people reporting seeing her, that would seem to strike a chord, but the LAPD and the LVPD did not agree. And unfortunately, that's as far as we can go in trying to solve this case because we have no evidence. We don't know who was investigated, if anyone was investigated. And honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if no one was investigated since the police wanted to make sure this stayed a non-homicide death. We're left with a poor dead girl, a grieving family, and no real police work being done trying to find the killer. So this wraps up one of the most frustrating cases we've covered so far, in my opinion. Uh, and the other ones I've at least been able to put together a theory of what happened, provide some guidance as to which way people should be looking, rightly or wrongly, an opinion can be formed. But this leaves us without anything to work with. And it's squarely because the police did not do their job. There is no evidence we can look at. It sucks. It totally sucks. So let's move on to something that doesn't suck, our palate cleanser. Here's this week's submission. What gives you the power to walk through walls? Again, what gives you the power to walk through walls? Why, it is a nice, simple door. Again, thank, thank my child for that. This is easily his favorite part of the show. And from the feedback, I, I get most of y'all's as well. Once again, I'm going to pester you all to be smart and healthy. The numbers of those infected and dead are growing and growing. Alabama, my home state, just had its first death from this coronavirus last week. Even if you aren't worried about getting the virus, remember you can spread it to people who do care about getting it. And you could be responsible for killing someone's grandma or pop-pop. Don't do that. Be smart. Don't be stupid. Okay. And one last little shout-out I have to give is this case was submitted to me by one of my most faithful listeners, my mommy. So 
Thanks, moms, for this tip. It was a very interesting case. All right, with that, I'm off to practice some good old social distancing in honor of the famous Nelson Muntz. I'll smell you later. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.